getting ready to start a brand new series here at Pomerado Christian Church. We are glad that each and every one of you are here. Um, and I just want to take a moment before we dive into the, the series or into God's Word, we want to take a moment just to uh, say something that maybe many of you have heard before. Um, and it's simple and it's life-changing. And it's just these three simple words that God loves you. Not God just loves everybody around you, but God loves you. Not that God just likes you. Yes, he likes you, but that God loves you. And that the God of all the universe, he loves you. And I hope and I pray that that's not something that just goes in one ear and out the other, but this idea that it would permeate the very fiber of your being, that you are loved by the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he is the one to whom we look when our we need our help because where does our help come from? It's from the Lord, the maker in heavens of the earth. That we recognize that it is not just a platitude people say, but it is an attitude that changes our lives. And so may you know if you are in this room or listening online later that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved by us before you walk in this room and that you are loved by our almighty God. You cannot listen to the rest of the sermon, but if you take hold of that this morning, it will have been a good day. With that being said, we are starting a brand new series called Share Your Style. And this idea of Share Your Style, we're, we have different clothing styles and things there and part of the graphic, but um, it's not about that. It's about this idea that all of us, when we hear the word evangelism, we kind of have one style in mind or maybe two styles in mind that feel like they're the most prevalent, that they feel like they're the only way to do it. And because of this idea that we've experienced when it comes to evangelism, we start to then maybe put what it means to be an evangelist inside of a box. And because there's a box there, we feel like either we're not good enough to be in that box or we'll never be able to live up to those already in it. So to give an example of the idea that we think of the negative side of that is, oh my gosh, it is scary to be able to share my faith because I have to go in front of people. I have to know all the answers to all the questions that all people will ever have at all times that we have to make sure that it's, it's become so scary and intimidating because we feel like we're not good enough to be able to have all the answers and to do all those things in the timing and the way in which is needed in order to share our faith. So then we have these negative view of evangelism and that scares us. So we often, if in many things in life, we often run from that which we are scared of. But then the positive side of it, and by positive I mean we look at these great examples of evangelists. We look at these people that say, oh my gosh, what they are doing is incredible, but I'm not as gifted, I'm not as good, I'm not as whatever as that person, so how will I ever live up to that ideal? That about a year or so into my relationship with God, I'm was uh, taking some high school students with my previous church, and we went to go see Billy Graham at the um, uh, crusade in Pasadena in 2004. Um, and so uh, it's one of those things where I remember being like a new Christian, and I've heard the name of Billy Graham, and I'm like, I'm about to go in to the greatest sermon of all time. Like I go into, I'm like, it's going to be rich. It's going to be huge. Like it's going to be long and it's going to be great. Maybe it's just me who likes long sermons, as you can see. But it's one of those where it's just like, we have this, I'm like, I had this expectation of what it was going to be going into it. And, and it was a youth night because third day was playing and Billy Graham was speaking and we brought some students. And I remember he started speaking 
And I can't tell you what it was that he spoke on, but I remember waiting for that moment when just being blown away by the ability of his oratory skills or just being blown away by just how clever her sermon would be. And I also remember being blown away by how short it ended up being. Because it wasn't about him having all this clever oratory skills. Yes, he was an orator, but that wasn't what made it powerful. What was powerful is that he spoke about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how all of us have a need for a relationship with him, that we are all sinners, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, that none of us upon our own good deeds, upon our own abilities, upon the ways in which we try to find our identity in this world, none of us will be able to make our way to the Father on our own path. But we are able to trust in the way, truth, and life of Jesus and no one goes to the Father except through him. And I remember thinking, wow, like, he spoke for a very short time, like kind of thinking that that's it. But then when I saw thousands of people go down, I said, no, 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 no. that's it. Amen. That Jesus works. And it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect in all these different ways. But Billy Graham spoke to millions upon millions of people in, in over 180 countries. And he was able to be used as an evangelist with this direct style of speaking the truth in love, but not kowtowing to anything around him. And so we look at the paradigm of a Billy Graham type evangelist and say, well, I'll never be like Billy Graham. And so we're either too afraid and we run from that which we fear, or we're too intimidated and we feel like it's not even worth trying. So we kind of live in this, this middle ground of knowing we should share our faith, but not knowing how we can. Because this idea of evangelist is this idea in the, New, in the New Testament. It's this Greek word that's someone who came into a city or a town to proclaim a victory of a battle and that they were able to spread that good news of that victory. That you and I, we have the ability to share the good news of the victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that is a privilege and an honor, not a burden to be bared. But we are able to be privileged to share the victory of Jesus to those around us. And yet, many of us are either too scared or don't feel good enough. And because of that, we fail to live up to what God has called us to do in many ways. So we're going to talk over the next six weeks, including today, about six different styles of evangelism, that we would share our style with those around us so that Jesus could be shared with those around us. But before we dive into our topic specifically this morning, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much that you are here in this place, and I pray for each person that's in this room and those that are listening online later. Lord, I pray that all of us would take hold of the calling that we can be evangelists, that we can be people who are spreading the good news of your victory to a world that needs to hear it. And so, Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every person who hears my voice. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this topic today is this direct style of evangelism. A direct style is a style that probably most of us are accustomed to. In fact, Billy Graham could be a good example of it. But we look at this direct style, but for some of us, some of us here, you love direct communication. Even if it's a little harsh, you'd rather 
receive harsh words and give harsh truth in a way that, you know, is very clear rather than kind of beating around the bush. But sometimes for some of us, direct conversation or direct um, discussion can be really difficult and can kind of put us off a little bit. And an example that I want to share is uh, probably when Shailen was about two or three years old, um, I was wearing, putting her to bed. It was in the summer, so I was wearing a San Francisco Giants tank top, and I had her in the crook of my arm, and I was singing to her, and I was rocking her to sleep. And it was probably Amazing Grace or Come Thou Found. Those are the ones we often sang. And I was rocking her in the chair, and she just looks up at me with her cute little eyes and says, Daddy, you have a beautiful singing voice. I'm like, oh, thank you. Without missing a beat, and your armpits smell disgusting. And I was like, I was like, I, I don't even know what to do with this. And I'm trying to be calm and peaceful so she could sleep. And I'm just laughing like, <laughs> thank you for showing me amazing grace. No, um, but it's one of those where it's just this idea where sometimes there's these just direct conversations that can be a little tough. And sometimes it's like that. And it's, it could be humorous and we could look at it later. Other direct conversations might be a direct conversation with a friend at school that um, they're struggling with depression and, and really going through a hard time and you need to speak directly to them that they need to get help and go to counseling. That maybe a direct conversation is one within a relationship and saying, listen, maybe before you're married, it's this idea of, you know, we're going to break up and have a direct conversation. Maybe in a marriage, it's, hey, we need to work on some stuff and we need to be on the same page. Maybe as a parent, it's being able to speak a direct thing to your, your children and, and letting them know that you love them, but yet that behavior or those things are not okay or whatever it might be, but there are different direct conversations. And for some of us, that can be a little in your face and can be a little off-putting. But when it comes to this idea of direct evangelism, our main point for this morning is this idea that direct evangelism may come across as being in your face, but the motivation is to help people meet Jesus face to face. That direct evangelism may come across as being in your face, but the motivation is to help people meet Jesus face to face. And so we're going to take today to look at direct evangelism and look at, about, look at excuse me, a biblical example. And we're going to look at that in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, if you want to start turning your Bibles that way. Um, we're going to start looking at the story of Peter preaching at Pentecost in Jerusalem. But in order to get to that, we want to look at a biblical example of uh, the direct style. And we want to take a moment to just look at who Peter was uh, and who, he, who the person is as recorded in Scripture. And this idea that in the Gospels, we see that Peter was bold and confident. Like that was part of his personality. Those were his characteristics. Sometimes he would be a little too bold and overspeak. Maybe he'd be confident and then fall short. But his personality was, was someone who was bold, someone who was confident, someone who was outspoken. And so I want to take a few moments to just look at one verse from each of the different gospels that explains this or shows this example here. So Matthew 14, this is the story in which Jesus is walking on water after the feeding of the 5,000. And all of a sudden they say, they see Jesus walk and say, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, no, do not be afraid. It is me. And then in verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. That sometimes we focus so much on the fact that he got distracted by the wind and the waves and he fell that we fail to see the boldness and confidence it takes to say, Lord, tell me to walk on water. 
And so for some of us, it's this idea that he stepped out in a very literal sense, stepped out of the boat in order to say his boldness to ask and his confidence to do so when Jesus told him to come out on the water. Mark chapter 8, there's a section in which uh, he asked, Jesus asked the disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? They say, oh, they say you're a prophet, or they say you're this, they say you're that. But then Jesus says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That there was no hesitation, there was no confusion, that he was able to stand boldly and confidently in knowing who Jesus was, that you are the anointed one, you are the chosen one, you are the one for whom we have been waiting. He's able to speak out about that boldly and confidently. In, the, in Luke chapter 22, it's um, during the, uh, uh, the Last Supper, and Jesus talks about how they're going to you know, depart and leave, and Peter says, no, no, no. He said, but Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he proclaims that confidently. And yet it was only a short hour, a couple hours later in which he wasn't ready to go with Jesus to prison and to death. He denied Jesus the night before Jesus' death. And so we see that he again was bold and confident and said that he was going to be there and he was going to stand up and he was going to do all those things. But in that moment, when the he got called out and when people thought that, you know, they said, you were with him. He said, I never knew the man before the rooster crowed. And he had that weeping of bitterness, recognized that he had let him down and that that statement no longer was true, that he wasn't ready to go with him to prison or death. And then John chapter 18, later that night in the same, uh, that same night when Jesus was come to be arrested by, led by Judas and the soldiers, that when the soldiers came, Peter thought that it would be a bold way to step up and protect his savior was to that say that then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the right, sorry, the high priest's servants, cutting off his right ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus that the one who came to arrest him, who was wounded by in the process of leading to his death, was then healed by that Savior. And so he heals Malchus's right ear. But Peter, again, was bold. He was confident. And this doesn't even start about the stories in John 13 in which Peter says, I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you won't have no part of me. This is then wash my whole body, like just speaking out boldly. It doesn't include the fact that when Jesus, when Peter rebukes Jesus, saying that he's going to die, that Jesus literally says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. So we see example after example that Peter was bold and confident in the Gospels. We see that as part of who he is. That's part of his characteristic before he had the Holy Spirit dwell within him. But then we see in our notes that in Acts 2, he was still bold and confident. In the story of the Pentecost preaching, he was still bold and confident. That when the Holy Spirit dwelled within him and the other apostles in the beginning of Acts 2, it didn't mean that the Holy Spirit was changing his personality from who God had created him. It meant that the Holy Spirit was infusing him with power to become the evangelist, the disciple, the leader that God had already created him to be with the personality traits that he had already had. He didn't go from being bold and confident in the gospels to being timid and, and something completely different after the Holy Spirit indwelled. In fact, the Holy Spirit then empowered that which had already been within Peter, that which had already been part of his characteristics. And so for us, we must recognize that God doesn't say that if you've been bold and confident, doesn't mean that when you become a Christian that you should it be? 
or if you've been someone who's more quiet behind the scenes and you reach people through relationship or through serving or any of the other styles that we're gonna look at over the next five weeks, doesn't mean that then you have to become a completely different person. That God has made you to be able to reach people that are in your sphere of influence that will respond to the personality type and evangelism style that you have and that we can work together in order to see that come to fruition. And so in Acts chapter 2, he was still bold and confident. When he preached the sermon, he's still preaching about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, just as the simple message that Billy Graham gave in 2004. But let's start in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Is the context is that the Holy Spirit came on, the apostles started preaching and talking about who Jesus was in the various languages of the different people groups, the Jewish, different Jewish people that were there. And so then there are people who are like, oh, these, these people are drunk. And he says, I'm not drunk. But then he starts to say how the Spirit's going to pour forth, quoting Joel. But then he jumps down. We're going to jump down to verse 22 when, when he's speaking to the Israelites. Verse 22 says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That he preaches the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. That if you don't know what to say when someone asks you about who Jesus is, you can share about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. You could say, listen, he lived a perfect life. None of us have lived a perfect life. We all had sin. He never did. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Yet he died a horrible death, a sinner's death. But he was raised to life and resurrected so that you and I might have eternal life. It doesn't have to be the perfect oratory message with perfect skills and all these different things that are clever. It can be the life, death, and resurrection. And we see time and time again throughout the story of history how the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes things, changes our lives. We die to ourselves and then we are raised to new life with him. Then we're going to jump down because this is how bold, excuse me, this is how bold and confident Peter is starting in verse 36 as we jump down a little bit. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Think about how bold that message is. That Peter's surrounded by Jewish people in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified uh, just several weeks before that. And he says, that Jesus was the Messiah, was the one for whom we've prayed and waited and hoped for. He was the one that would bring a new kingdom and yet you killed him. This isn't a light feathery sermon. This doesn't tickle the ears. This is a you killed him. And guess what? You have to repent. You have to do that literal 180 that comes with repentance and be baptized in symbolism that you die to your old life and rise into new life. See, in your notes, the Holy Spirit needed someone. Holy Spirit needed someone who would be both bold and confident to, to preach at Pentecost. That 
picturing the scene where there are thousands of Jewish people around, different languages, different things going on, and then all of a sudden these apostles come in and they start speaking a different language. People think that they're drunk. It's all chaotic. The Holy Spirit needed someone who would be bold enough to stand up, bold enough to walk on water, bold enough to be able to say, I am with you, that you are the Christ, bold enough to say, I will die and I'll go to prison for you, bold enough to even strike an enemy's ear, but Instead of doing it that way, he would strike at the heart to the point where it wasn't Malchus's ear that was cut off, it was the, the people's hearts that were cut to the core. That he needed, the Holy Spirit needed someone bold and confident to speak and to preach at Pentecost. So should we be surprised, looking at Peter's story, should we be surprised that he chose to use Peter? That the way that Peter had always been in his personality was then not erased when Holy Spirit came inside of him, it was empowered and it was able to be able to preach and share and be bold because there are times when direct style of evangelism, it might feel face to f- or in your face, but it, the motivation is to help people meet Jesus face to face. And so there are times when bold, direct style of evangelism is absolutely necessary and vital because the Holy Spirit can use people who are in that place. And so, for those of you who have the direct style, if you're sitting here and you think, okay, yes, I'm someone who's bold, I'm someone who's confident, I'm someone that sometimes what I say, even though I know it's true, can rub people the wrong way, that I recognize that for me, I I just, I want to be that way. If that's you, if you can say, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, and that's not everyone in this room, guaranteed, because God needs to reach different types of people, and not all people will respond the same way to a direct style of evangelism. So I know that not all of you are this style, but for those of you who are this style, I want to take a moment to give you uh, a strength, a blind spot, a caution, a suggestion, and an encouragement as we look at those notes. Now, if you're not that style, this is not an opportunity for you just to, to check out. If you're not that style, then this is something where three things happen. One, finding out more about this style helps us to be able to appreciate the people who have it when it may not be ours. Two, it helps us to know that it's okay to be different in regards to how we reach people, because again, different people be reached in different ways. And three, it shows us if we know someone else's skills and proclivities the way that God has made him, and maybe that's not the same as ours, but maybe we know someone who needs that. It allows us to work as the body of Christ, not as lone wolves who are individuals, but as a pack of people who love Jesus and want people far from him being brought near to him so they can become fully devotedly followers of him. Recognizing that we could come alongside one another. And in the same way that a symphony or an orchestra can't all be woodwinds because we still need brass, we still need percussion, we still need different things. In the same way that we cannot all have one thing. The symphony can't just be one instrument and do, this is the only way that you play music. It's only through the flute, which would make me happy because I played it for five years. Uh, but it's one of those, that's not the only way. There are other instruments, other ways, other ways to sing music or to play music, and there's other ways to reach people so that they can sing praises to God. So for those of you who have a direct style, I want to give you, again, a strength, blind spot, caution, suggestion, and encouragement. The strength in your notes, is that your direct approach can be very effective when you are speaking the truth in love and are sensitive to the Spirit. 
When you are speaking the truth in love and sensitive to the spirit, that if you are someone who has a direct style, speaking the truth is probably not hard for you. That you'd be able to just be like, nope, truth is truth. Things are black and white. Here's, here's what you need to know. But without speaking the truth in love, as Paul has warned us, or not warned us, I'm sorry, encouraged us and called us to, wrong word, that he has called us to do, it's one of those where he's called us not to just speak truth and not to just speak love, but speaking the truth in love, that they are one in the part of the same discussion, that they are something that we are part of together. That picture this analogy that we might think that if we have truth and we go up to someone's door and we just pound on the door and we say, you are a sinner, you need Jesus, all this stuff, is that true? Well, yeah, we all need Jesus. Yeah, we are sinners. Yes, we do need that. But if someone were to come and do that to you, would you respond with love? Or would you be kind of like, oh, whoa, this is kind of, this is a little direct and, and you don't even know me or whatever it may be. Sometimes we think that truth alone is going to help us to pound on people's doors and to break into their lives to be able to change them. When really, in some ways, love is what opens the door to that conversation, to that relationship, and then truth is what comes in and allows God to work in and restore them and clean things up. That love might open the door, whereas truth makes us more like Christ. But if we only do truth without love, we see what happens next. This blind spot is that conversely, your direct approach may push people away if you come across too strongly or cold. That if it feels like someone is talking at you and not really speaking with you, you can tell what that feels like. You can tell when it's like, oh, I'm not a person to you. I am just a notch in your belt so you could say you shared Jesus today. Or whatever that may be, where you come across too strongly or cold. That Paul says in Philippians 3 that we should be sharing the story and the gospel with tears. With tears that there are people who are going to fall short that don't know Jesus. That we would be at the brink of tears to the point of recognizing that there are people far from God who are going to be dying today and they may have eternity without him. That with tears we share. Not just with truth, but with truth emboldened and carried through the power of the Holy Spirit to have tears and to care about those around us. You've probably heard a, a statement that says something along the lines of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true in a lot of ways, but, but when it comes to the gospel, people need to know that you love them before they know that you just want a truth them. So we need to have that truth in love together. So the blind spot is that you may push people away if you come across too strongly or cold, like you don't care at all. A caution for, all, for those of you with a direct style. For you, you need to recognize that not everybody evangelizes the way or how you do so. So avoid looking down on others with different styles. That someone with a direct style, again, recognize that not everybody evangelizes how you do, so avoid looking down on others with different styles. This is, this is something that, again, for people who are bold and direct and confident, you might see people trying to reach Jesus in a different way, and you say, that's wrong. You're doing it wrong. 
because that's how you are and because that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. That's what we see with Billy Graham, that many pastors have shared that maybe they have a a bold, direct style of evangelism. So then from the pulpit, they say, this is the way you need to do it. This is the box. You need to be ready at all times to be able to just, you know, boldly proclaim. And yes, we should be ready in season and out of season, but it also means that we need to have that truth with love. And so if someone else evangelizes a different way, maybe through serving, maybe through relationship, maybe through testimonial side, maybe through um, inviting them to church. There are many ways for us to evangelize. And so if someone who's bold and thinks that their way is the only way, then you remember what we just said, that all of us of an orchestra isn't just the woodwinds. Different people will respond differently to different styles. So we need different styles of people in order to reach the entire world for Christ. So just if you're in that place, don't think that you're, it's not black and white. It's not that direct is right, directive style evangelism is right, and everything else is wrong. It's, it's more nuanced than that. A suggestion, ask trusted friends. If you have this style, ask trusted friends. If you have proper degrees of both boldness and warmth. That's someone who's seen you in your life, and they've seen how you share, and they've seen how you directly approach people. Ask them, say, hey, I trust you. Be the iron that sharpens me right now. Do I come across too strong? Am I too bold to the sacrifice, to the detriment of warmth and caring for someone? And ask someone you trust, not just anyone, because some people might, in general, just not like conflict. They say, yeah, yeah, don't, don't do that. But ask someone who you, tr- you trust to, say, to ask them and say, is, what am I like? Is this, how do I come across? And then heed that instruction. Heed that instruction wisdom or that insight. 2 Timothy 4.2 talks about the idea that preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So yes, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It's both boldness and encouragement with warmth. And lastly, the encouragement there, your fifth point there is that like Peter, they needed, the Holy Spirit needed someone direct at Pentecost. Well, there will be times when the Holy Spirit needs someone direct. And don't be surprised when he chooses to use you. That this direct style of evangelism can do two purposes really, really well. One, which we see in Acts chapter 2 with Peter, is that it can open the eyes and the hearts and the minds. It can open them to who Jesus is and to our own sin and our own depravity. It can be something that is eye-opening because it's so direct and it rattles us a little bit. It might be a little off-putting, but it can open our eyes to the point in which we recognize something and a truth that maybe we wouldn't want to see otherwise. And we've had the scales from our eyes our whole lives, but they fall to the wayside when we get this direct clarity of who Jesus is and who we are. So it can open our eyes like it did with Peter in Acts chapter 2. But it can also do, and forgive the sales expression or the business side expression, but it can also be vitally important in closing the deal. It can be vitally important when someone is on the edge of trying to figure out, do I believe Jesus or not? Maybe they've waffled back and forth. Maybe they've gone to church for years, but yet they've never had it directly, explicitly said that 
you are a sinner and you need to find hope in Jesus Christ. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And that because of that, we could trust in him. And those who confess with their mouths and believe in their heart, those are the ones who can be saved. And so maybe to close the deal or to be a closer in order to say, listen, you can't just stay wishy-washy forever. You cannot stay lukewarm forever. You would either be better to be hot or better to be cold, but you need to make a decision today. That a direct style can open eyes and open hearts or it can close the deal and close, make people make sure that when they're making that firm decision to say that Christ is enough for me, they make that firm decision to give their lives to Jesus and live for him. So there's definitely a place in which God can use people with his direct style. We've seen it in scripture. We've seen it in everyday life, but we want you to be aware that don't be surprised when it happens. And when it comes to this idea of being uh, a closer, we already saw the idea of Peter with the being an opening their eyes and mind, but the closer idea here is, uh, do we have any San Diego Padre fans here? Okay, great. Um, I imagine, just this me predicting things, that with Manny Machado, there will be probably be more uh, San Diego Padre fans over the next couple of years when he does really well. Um, with that said, how many of you have ever heard the name and the picture here of Trevor Hoffman? Trevor Hoffman, right? So Trevor Hoffman is someone that was uh, a closer. He was someone who would come in at the end of the game, get the final few outs, and get a save. He was someone who, when he retired, he had 601 saves, which at that time was the all-time saves leader for Major League Baseball. That He was the first uh, reliever, the first closer to get to 500 saves. He was the first one to get to 600 saves. And since he retired, Mariano Rivera of the Yankees ended up getting 652. So he's no longer number one, but he is uh, someone who had that record for quite a while. Now, if you followed... Padre Baseball for any length of time. Does anybody know what song he would walk into? Hell's Bells. Yeah, you don't want to say Hell's Bells in church. I get it. Um, but Hell's Bells. And it'd be this one where he would come on the mound and the song, that song would start and he would walk out. And I wasn't even a Padres fan, but like still, like that, that is an intimidating thing when as a, as a hitter, you're going up and you're like, okay, I have to hit against this guy who has already had hundreds of saves and he's really good at what he does and Hell's Bells, it's, again, it's not something that tickles the ears, it is something that is intense. Um, and, and we use that example because he was a closer, that's what he did. As a closer, you have to be bold, you have to be confident when it comes to baseball, but as a closer, when it comes into being direct with our evangelism, we have to be bold, we have to be confident, we have to be outspoken. For those of you who have those characteristics, don't feel like you have to become something else. Let the Holy Spirit help you to become who he's created you to become fully and empower you to do so. While doing so, while speaking the truth in love, boldness and warmth. And if we do that well, the sound in our ears will not be hell's bells ringing inside of a stadium. The sound that we would be able to hear is the rejoicing of angels when people far from God come near to God. And not hell's bells, but heaven's cheers. That we're able to be bold and direct. Because for us, direct evangelism may seem like it's in your face, but the motivation is to help people meet Jesus face to face. So as we close this morning, I just want us to think about this for a second. Not all of us here are in the direct style. We have five more styles the next five weeks. And we want you to experience that evangelism is not in a box made by man. There's not just one way to do it. 
So our hope and our prayer is that as we go through this series, that you would hear a sermon or you would hear about a person or a study that it says, oh my gosh, that is the way that God has created me to, serve, uh, to evangelize. And yet this whole time I thought I was wrong. This whole time I was shackled by the idea that evangelism has to be one specific way of just having to stand on my chair at work and proclaiming who Jesus is at all times or needing to stand up in front of, uh, of the lunch cafeteria and be able to share who Jesus is at all times. That for some people, bold and direct is the way God has made you, but it's not the only way to reach people. And so what would it look like if we as a church as members of the body of Christ, that we would be able to learn the way that God has made us to evangelize, that has made us to share? What would it look like for us to understand the way that other people were made? And so if we're someone that is invitational, who wants to bring people to the church or to bring people to understand who Jesus is, maybe there's a closer who's a direct approach who's just going to come in and speak the truth in love that we can partner with one another. Because again, as Paul talks about, some people plant seeds, others water them, but God is the one who brings the growth. May we do our part, whether we've been called to be seed planters and open the eyes of people like the direct style, whether we're called to be waterers and maybe through relationship, through serving, through the different things we're going to read about in the next few weeks, or whatever it may be, whatever role we play, God brings the growth and he uses us. And so a lot of the content that we're talking about over the next six weeks on Behold into Becoming a Contagious Christian by Mark Middleberg, Lee Strobel, and Bill Hybels, who put this study together. And in fact, in order for us to understand what kind of style we are, um, we printed out a few copies of an assessment test so that if you are interested or intrigued by this idea of what style you might be, that going out to the greeter's table directly to the right, there's a few printouts. If we need more, we could print more. We could put them online later. But there's a 36-question assessment test that you just answer on a scale. I think it's one to three. And through that, you can say, oh, you do the math, you figure out which style you are, and then that packet that we hand out has information to describe each one of those different styles. So a lot of the content you're gonna see over the next few weeks comes from a lot of the material there. But the idea for us is just taking hold of the fact that what if we all figured out our style with that assessment as one way to do so, and what if, again, we all in our church, we were freed from feeling like we needed to just do one method or mode of evangelism, and we were free to share the, not the burden of evangelism, but we were free to share the joy and the privilege it is to be someone who comes into a place and shares the victory cry that the battle against sin and death has won and that Jesus is the victor. He is our way, our truth, and our life, and we can come to know the Father through him alone. That's a privilege. That's a joy. That's an honor. So may we start to understand evangelism in new terms, not in burdensome, not that I have to be like someone else, but that God has created us to reach the people we're around, with the personality that we are, the gifts that he's given us, and we can partner with others to continue to see people far from God being brought near to God so they may become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are in this place. And Lord, I, I thank you for each person that is hearing uh, these words now in this room, but also those who are listening online later, God, I pray that there would be a freedom that comes from taking hold of the way that you've created us, that we don't have to try to be someone else or to play a certain part, but what we do is we allow you, Holy Spirit, to dwell within us, and you make us the men or the women that you've called us to become, and that you would be able to use us for your kingdom and for your glory. May you help us to 
eradicate anxiety and to take hold of the privilege of what it means to tell other people about your victory over sin and death, and that we are all invited to be able to take hold of the new life that comes from your death. From the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus comes our new life. So Lord, I pray that our lives would live out the, the sentiment that Christ is enough for us, and that we would live our lives sharing that truth so that others around us would be able to say that Christ is enough for me and that they would have eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.